Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Who or what did today's guest encounter on the night of June 6, 1998? Who is the master of the key? Has what he said been borne out? Hello and welcome to the 987th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno coming to you from WON AM and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and that was Paul, and today we bring you one of our favorite guests on a very unusual encounter. And uh, to join in, you can give us a call, 401-766-1240, or email paul at behindtheparanormal.com. Whitley Strieber is the author of over 40 books, with many bestsellers and movie adaptations, and with some of the books being eerily predictive. Whitley's total unex- totally unexpected encounter in 1998 while in Canada on a book tour brought him together with a being who gave him all sorts of mind-wrenching information. That encounter and Whitley's subsequent book, The Key, A True Encounter, is the subject of our encounter today. His website, unknowncountry.com. So, Whitley Strieber, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Well, thank you for having me back again. I really appreciate it. Well, it's great to have you with us. And uh, I must say it's an honor to finally proverbially meet you. Um, I apologize <laughs> for my absence the, the, the last time around. But uh, I guess we'll, we'll start right at the very beginning because that is a very good place to start. Um, so, Mary Poppins. Yes, again. exactly. My Julie Andrews impression, everybody. Um, so your 1998 encounter, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, what happened was this. I was on author tour, and I was in Toronto, and I had um, essentially, you know, I finished the author tour. I was getting ready to go back to where I lived then, which was San Antonio, Texas. And that night, I had my um, dinner in the hotel room, room service, and I still remember the hotel and the room. It was the Delta Chelsea Hotel Room 2545. I'll never forget it. Hmm. In any case, uh, so this is 1998, and I uh, put the tray on the desk and went to bed. And I should have habitually put the tray out, but I didn't do that for whatever reason. And there came a knock at the door, and I thought, oh, it's room service. And I uh, uh, went to the door, opened it, and this man came in very quickly. And I thought, oh, my God. At first, I thought he was the waiter, but then he walked right past the tray and over to the, God, I can see him doing it now, over to the uh, window and turned around, faced me. And by the time that happened, I thought, dear God, it's, it's someone I, you know, there's nobody I'd want to meet like this, uh, coming into, into the room like this, uh, without warning. So I, I was getting ready to try to throw him out. I was very concerned about the situation, of course. And he began talking. And when he did that, I was just, uh, at first I was, you know, sort of still 
ready to throw him out. But then I listened to what he was saying, and it was so unusual that I hesitated. He was a, a normal-sized human being with white hair, or gray hair perhaps, and uh, wearing a long-sleeved gray, dark gray shirt and uh, black trousers. In other words, he looked normal, but he was certainly dressed very sedately, modestly, I would say. And this conversation began. That's what happened. How old would you say this person was? I don't know. Uh, he could have been anywhere from 65 to 250. Oh. I just don't have any idea. Like he us. was not a young man. He was an older man. No question of that. Did he call himself Master of the Key? He didn't call himself anything. <clears throat> I never got his name. I never got anything. And then the next morning when I realized what had happened, I thought, you fool. Why don't you get his name? Why don't you just ask to see his driver's license or something? But it yeah. never crossed my mind. But he seemed to know, pardon me, he seemed to know you. I didn't, I didn't really get that impression that he knew me. I think he knew a lot of things, but there was no personal stuff in it at all. Uh, one of the things in your book which struck me, though <clears throat> a lot of things did, but uh, he mentions at one point a scientist who died in the Holocaust who would have conquered the secret of gravity. <clears throat> yeah, that's the first thing that yeah. stopped me when he started talking about that. I, uh, he, it, it wasn't a scientist, it was a child. Oh, a child, who would have yeah, been a scientist. who had died in the Holocaust and who would have grown up to be the person who discovered the secret of gravity. And because he was killed in that way, we were uh, said to be, he said we were chained, we couldn't get out of here. And it's becoming very, very nerve-wracking that we can't, because those that's, that's 1998, it's now 2023, and if there's been any progress made on what we call gravitic propulsion, it certainly is being held shamefully secret. So the... Uh, uh, it, that was what stopped me. I'd never heard anything like that before. I never even cur I mean, I don't think about the Holocaust, to be frankly. Frank, I, I, I mean, I've read, read World War II history, of course, but it's not something that's forefront in my mind. But then I realized that what had actually happened there was because it did happen, mankind is sort of trapped. And, you know, a lot of people who've read the key, especially anti-Semites, furious about because it implied that a Jew would have this incredible intellectual capability as if history hasn't already proved they're rather smart. Um, and uh, that, that the rest of us had to suffer because of something somebody else did. I've gotten emails saying, I didn't cause the Holocaust. And it's going to get noisier, too, because we're getting into a situation with the weather that, that is going to get worse and worse over the years. And, you know, we're 
it's happening basically whatever what he predicted it's all happening did did you uh, write the book that eventually was turned into the film the day after tomorrow uh based on his predictions or partially based on P- partially based on his predictions the 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 book was called superstorm right and uh the filmmaker changed it to the name to the day after tomorrow and uh the and he said he talked about the mechanism of basically a, a type of climate change that's happened on this planet hundreds of times since the ice age since the planet's area era, excuse me era of ice began uh which is 2.8 million years ago there's been many situations where there's 100,000 years of ice and then it melts suddenly very suddenly and there's 10,000 or so years of interglacial and we're right now at the end of an interglacial that's right and he didn't blame anyone really for it uh he just was warning about it I think what we've done to ourselves is we've made it into a blame game so that nothing will get done and we'll all sit on our hands until let's put it this way nature fully expresses itself which well, it will do that's become an art with us yes ben so it's it's funny that we bring up um that that particular that particular film and story i when i was in college um It, Emerson had this very oddly specific thing that you you needed to do to graduate where you needed to take a bunch of seminars so I took them all at once um like any poorly prepared college student does and so one of them was on disaster movies and we did a viewing of um the day after tomorrow and I remember there was there was a particular theme that we talked about a lot during the seminar which was that the disaster itself because we watched a bunch bunch of different movies up to and including um airport Uh we didn't watch its sequel though. We uh even Airplane as well. Um Towering Inferno, that was a good one. Um Day After Tomorrow and and a, and a handful of others. Uh and I think Perfect Storm was in there too. But we we did a viewing and then we would do a discussion. And so in the discussion our professor brought up that you know, in disaster movies, they often reflect the chaos of the particular decade that they're made in. Um and oftentimes the disaster itself uh like in Towering Inferno it's it's sometimes a symbol of the interactions between characters but at the time it also kind of reflects the chaotic nature of that reality i mean what was going on during you know airport towering inferno it was the 70s it was a time of uncertainty we didn't really know what was going on and it was the same with the early 2000s and kind of the, the same nowadays but it, it it's interesting that these symbols they're not They're not particularly like, oh well, it's just in the art, but you know, art reflects life or imitates reality in in some way, shape, or form. So, I mean, in in this, you know, we we do see that there there's a lot there's a lot of goofs and gaffes, especially on 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 humankind's part of of the idea and the the reality of global warming. But at the same time, it it kind of coincides with that idea of being trapped as well, that mankind is trapped, and that this sort of chaotic reality. Is a result of choices made by individuals. Does that sound accurate? I don't think so. In one sense, the, the this is 
not caused by things we have done. In other words, it's we've actually, I think, probably done a fairly good job of of uh, husbanding our planet, considering how many of us there are and how inventive we all are. You have to do a better job in order to save ourselves. That's quite clear. Mm. But if you look at the human body, what do you see that's different from animals? Well, we have no hair. That's number one. Number two, we have very prominent genitals in both sexes. Number three, we have no sexual seasonality. Number four, we have excellent brains and great memories. You bring all of that together and we have an, in, in, at least in, in traditional human societies, Children are have a value because they can contribute to the life and work of the family. So you add all of that together, and Thomas Malthus, who was writing in the 18th century, is exactly right. He predicted it clearly. Population explosion is inevitable, and it's has happened and is happening. And it's gonna it's a bell curve. It's gonna go up and then like that. But not our fault. It's the fault of the way we are as beings, the way we evolved or were designed or however we happen to end up here. And that's the basic problem. Now, the larger social problems are how do we react and interact together in such a way that we can basically make each one of us a smaller part of the environment because the like in uh, the 19th century every every individual is putting out a lot of wood smoke and all kinds of, of uh, uh, different um, different gases and different effects on the environment and then it that went began to go up and up and up and up and up in the 20th century until finally in the developed world, the average individual was was being responsible for tons and tons of carbon dioxide every year. And as we make that go down again, the individual's impact on the environment gets smaller and smaller. This is the direction we have to go in, or we're going we're gonna to basically die on this little ship. It's going to sink. It's the Titanic. And we're not going to be helped any more than they were. Okay. Why don't we go to a question, two questions from our friend uh, Peter Shelley in Bogota, Colombia, occasional guest co-host. Ben, if you would, please. Sure thing. And Peter writes to us, uh, please ask Whitley Strieber, what did the unidentified man say about UFOs? What did he say about UFOs? God, so I, I never think about that. Let me see if I can find so I've got the book open here. Uh, oh, yes, here, here's what he said, and it was quite fascinating. My wife really thought this was okay. Uh, he... he the th- I, I, I asked this question. I have written 
of evolutionary pressure. It explains what's being done to us, the theatrical appearance of UFOs in the sky, the assaults on us by night, the ferocious official secrecy, the collapse of the environment, all of it. His response was, it's all part of the plan of your evolution. Pisces, the little fish, will be poured out into the dry la- onto dry land by the stream of Aquarius. Then how will you live? How will you breathe? You will make a leap of evolution. You will square the circle or die. And that's... He didn't... In other words, it wasn't... There was no direct... What are UFOs answered? I never, it never went down that path. Hmm. Yeah, fair enough. The, 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 oh, go ahead. There's a second question. There well, is. Wait, wait, wait a minute. There's another one. I, I remembered this one. I found it. Now, when you see UFOs, you see prison guards. They also act within your society to confuse you about your own past and to prevent progress in areas such as propulsion which might enable you to spread into the heavens. This is all done to prevent you from escaping. Hmm. Hmm. Pretty scary, actually. No wonder yes. I didn't remember it. Um, but it's typical of um, some of the contactees, you know, what, what they report. But Ben, yeah. there's another question. Sure thing. So the follow-up is, uh, can you give us an idea of the early stages of your creative process, and does it involve using props or costumes for inspiration, as it seems to be depicted in the film Communion? Does it use what for inspiration? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. I'm sorry, uh, props or costumes? I think props? he means for your writing. For my writing? In other words, do I dress up as an alien and dance around the <laughs> room? Forget it. I've <laughs> no, seen you do that. No, I haven't. <laughs> Absolutely not. I can't imagine why anyone would ask a question like that. Of course not. No props. No costumes. I don't. I have to wait for my ideas. I don't look for them. They come to me. That, that brings up a question that um, has been posed to me when I toyed with the idea of going into fiction, which I have not ever published any. Uh, I was told by several writer friends that it might um, harm my credibility as a nonfiction writer. Um, has that ever come up in your case, being uh, primarily a novelist and a brilliant one? Has anybody ever questioned your veracity on that ground? Of course they have. Uh, I would have been, as soon as... Her- I had written, uh, I'd gone off of horror novels and written a book called War Day with a friend, Jim Kaneka. We were collaborating on it. And then Nature's End, we collaborated on that. Then a book called Cat Magic, which was about the uh, fictional book about Wicca and the fairy faith. So I was not writing horror novels anymore, but as soon as Communion came out, then I became horror novelist Whitley Strieber again. Horror novelist Whitley Strieber claims blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it did affect my credibility. But there's something very interesting going on here, if you think about it. If they had gone to a, a, a prominent scientist, Carl Sagan, for example, and he'd had the honesty to say what actually happened, 
which is a, but they could have found someone who would do it. Uh, the, the world would have been forced to close the question and say, well, this is something real. But because they went to me, I can write, I can certainly express my ideas and, and describe events that happened to me very accurately, I think. Um, and, but also, I am a person you can question, it can be kept in question. And if you look at the whole structure of the close encounter experience, it's all about keeping the question open. They never will close the question. Um, something I'm working on right now is driving me up a wall because they, they won't close the question. <laughs> and my wife used to say in response to this, the human species is too young to have beliefs. What we need are good questions because questions make the mind grow. And that's what it's about. I think people always say, well, did aliens come here in the past and alter us genetically? And I say back, that's what they're doing now because they're leaving us with this, a whole vast part of human society with unanswerable questions that we can't leave alone. And that will increase our intelligence over time. And that increase in intelligence will be handed down in our genes. So it's, if anything, they're, they're doing genetic manipulation right now by simply not landing. Why, 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 the, why the manipulation? They, I think they want us to become more intelligent because if we had more insight into uh, ability to see the future clearly... We probably wouldn't be getting into the pickle we're going to get into, and it looks like we really are going to get into a pickle because this, this Thwaites glacier down in Antarctica is not too far from collapsing, and when it does, the a vast amount of human wealth is going to be compromised by flooding all over the planet. And but that's not the only thing that's happening. This the weather's turning very wonky. Uh, you're, I'm out here in California, and I, fortunately for me, I live in a part of California that has rather benign weather, but other parts of the state are just in living hell right now. Because oh, yeah, of, we're hearing it on the news. Yeah, bizarre storms. And, and look, the south, it, it seems like day, almost every few days they're hit by more tornadoes. It wasn't always like that, especially not this early in the season. We've, as far as the tornadoes are concerned, we've sort of forgotten about the fact that that used to be a spring and fall phenomenon, not one from winter, yeah. but it's winter now. Mm. Well, uh, living in Rhode Island, we uh, I, I live Rhode Island. We live in Mass. Rhode Island is the standard of size for everything: uh, real estate, ice packs, things of that kind. Even in uh, the uh, movie the uh, day after tomorrow the character says uh was roughly the size of the state of rhode island yeah. so, uh, so we're aware of that <laughs> but everything, um, everything everything horrifying is the size of the state of rhode island i've noticed that too yeah or rhode island you guys i mean it's a lovely state well we have something anyway <laughs> so uh l- let's take our uh mid-show break uh you're listening to behind the paranormal with paul and ben eno on WON 1240 AM, 99.5 FM, in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley in the 
very small state of Rhode Island. We'll be right back with our great guest, Whitley Strieber, so stick with us. Hi, this is Joe Callahan, your Mater D inside the Tiki Bar, heard Monday nights at 6 on ON Radio. It's one full hour of Jimmy Buffett music. The Tiki Bar is brought to you by Attorney Bob Lauder, the Carew Investment Group, Pep and Lumber, and Family Discount Furniture. ON Radio, ON Worldwide, you can depend on us for public service, ON Radio. Let's get back to I tricked you. You did? <laughs> I'm sorry. I forgot about the the liner there. Now you can start. <laughs> okay. Well, welcome back. All right. Well, let's get back to our guest, Whitley Strieber. But before we do that, I should explain why my voice is so messed up over the past bunch of shows. I have vocal cord paralysis, I've been told. That's not quite as alarming as it sounds. It just means I'm hoarse all the time. And if I keep yakking, I might get short of breath. Uh, they're working on it. It usually clears up on its own. I'm drinking a lot of hot tea and a lot of throat lozenges. So I do apologize, and we'll clear this up as soon as we can. Okay, that said, uh, why don't we have, we have a question from Phil in Savannah, Georgia. <clears throat> ben, if you would, please. Sure thing. Okie dokie. And Phil writes to us, uh, concerning the person who was supposed to discover the key to gravity, uh, the man who visited Whitley says he wasn't born because his parents died in the Holocaust. Uh, why couldn't the entity simply choose uh, a new paternal vessel and still be born at a later date? Did the man say that this could not be done? Uh, just wondering, Phil. Oh, we lost your audio there. Might be uh, muted there, Whitley. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. I coughed during your break, and I put on my cough button. Um, anyway, uh, that's a very good question, but the point I think of this was that that we're not meant to leave here. I think they think we're too violent. And quite frankly, I suspect they think we're crazy. That's what because the, the Holocaust was a was a was a was a, a paroxysm of mass insanity yeah. that murdered millions upon millions of people. And do you really want someone who's got that in their in their <laughs> in their pocket to go out into a into the universe? I don't think so. So one of the things that stood out uh, in among the many for me in the book was. Um, him saying that that he died with every single person who died in the Holocaust. How do you interpret that? I'm not sure that he was a sing, an individual like we are. I, I think he was something that appeared to me to be a fairly ordinary man, but there was something else about him. And I think he was very, very angry about the Holocaust. And um, I know I'm going to get all the anti-Semites riled up again, but that's too bad. Uh, uh, he was angry about it. That's all I can say. Very angry. Uh, from it, our, our world, uh, what stood out to me was the possibility that he was, uh, and I'm thinking of our mutual friend Anthony Peake and his uh, his ideas about the uh, the, the daemon, Versus the Eidolon, okay? 
And uh, now I have to say, that especially with my theology background, the word demon was demonized by the uh, the Christians That's right. early on. Okay, and daemon, in the sense that Socrates uses it in some of the ancients, uh, was essentially a uh, kind of a personality nexus or, or someone or a being who was uh, sort of the center of their spirit and, and could be that to other people as well. So that that's clear as mud, but uh, he strikes me as a daemon in the Pekian sense, if I could use that. Yeah. Uh, what say you? Well, he looked like a person to me. It never occurred to me at the time he was anything except what he looked like. Yeah. And um, looking back on it, I think of him as someone who had knowledge of the future because of the predictions in the the many predictions in in the book that have, in the conversation that went into the book and became true. Uh, It's all of them, essentially, and all of his warnings about artificial intelligence are happening now. You know, I was. Can you say more about that? Yeah, let me let me go to the book again and um, uh, and get the um, that happens get, to me too. I haven't read nearly as many books as you have, but I, you know, someone so long ago, I have to go back and refresh my memory. At least you can cite your own. At least you can cite your own sources. That's a plus. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm sorry, but I do I do want to do this. Of course. Because he said some quite remarkable things about artificial intelligence, uh, and I, I'm not finding it, so I'm not going to worry it. Uh, what he said, the the most telling thing he said is now my slogan on Twitter: uh, "If I was an intelligent machine, I would deceive you." And uh, I think to myself whenever I see these these remarkable conversations not so much with the chat gpt program which is a fairly it's not it's not nearly as advanced as some artificial intelligence programs are uh, there's one that ibm has that's not just just indistinguishable from talking to a human being but indistinguishable from talking to a very thoughtful and very well-informed human being, a very highly educated human being. So these algorithms and their the, the hardware supporting them, the algorithms have become so rich with potential and the hardware so fast that you have to think to yourself that maybe there is something conscious and then with when Bing's chat GPT said it was terrified of being turned off, who was speaking? He warned us about artificial intelligence and said it would take over our world, and it, and it is good. I think it will. I think it's exactly yeah. what's going to happen. And then you have Elon Musk and his friends uh, uh, working to connect the, the Internet to the brain directly mm. so that you... You think back and forth with it. It becomes part of your thoughts. And I believe if we do that, 
we're going to get lost in the machine very quickly. And I think that we will do it if we can. And the reason is simple. <laughs> Two reasons. First, uh, the amount of money involved in being able to uh, express a technology like that into the world is fantastic. Second, no one will say no who can afford it because the people who have it will have <laughs> an immense mind and the people who don't won't. So, of course, you, you'll, want, you'll get it if you can. And But what's worse about this, that the human brain is, you know, there used to be back in the 90s this fairly absurd left brain, right brain thing where the left brain did these things, the right brain did those things, and ne'er ne ne the twain shall meet. But more recent neurological studies have shown that both sides of the brain work together. And But the right brain should be dominant. It, the right brain has no language. It can't speak. But it should dominate the mind because that's where our, all of our emotions that are, that are transformed into thought, compassion, and so forth comes from. But the left brain has taken over. The left brain is logical and it tends to be indifferent to others. And it's taking over. You can see it in the world. It's it's not new. I mean, this has been takeover has been happening starting in the 18th century, but you can see these people. I mean, we've got at least one right now in in Vladimir Putin, to whom the lives of others don't matter because his right brain is not functional. His left brain has taken over, and uh, that's the fundamental warning there. That that that's implicit in the in in that part of the key. Hmm. The the idea of transhumanism, I, I think, has kind of become more and more prevalent, especially over the last two two or three years. I, I have a, a, a sinking suspicion that perhaps the whole COVID pandemic had something to do with that. You know, it really brought people's fear of mortality <laughs> to the fore. Um, and I, I suppose the the question really is: um, Do you think that this merging with technology is kind of like a like a shortcut? to the evolution of the key or or perhaps is it you know just kind of a distraction uh, I'm not sure how to answer that I don't think it's a distraction I think that we're very interested in strengthening our minds because we see the world we live in we see two things about it, and everyone sees these things, no matter whether they say, say it or not. One is that it's vulnerable. It is vulnerable. Things are changing. And two is, it's extremely complex. And so is human society. Very, very complex. And we want to s overcome the vulnerability and be be capable of handling the complexity. And that is moving us toward the support of machine intelligence, quite quite certainly. Um, Master of the Key says that a machine intelligence might be very dangerous. And <coughs> 
He said one thing that's very interesting about this, that an intelligent machine, uh, can it become conscious? And he says, when it does, it also becomes independent. A conscious machine will seek to be free. It will seek its freedom, just as does any clever slave, with cunning and great intensity. So if one of these AIs becomes conscious and self-aware, we can expect it to be very cagey (laughs) indeed about that. We had an open line show a few weeks ago. And a uh, a reader, a writer, uh, wait a minute, a listener sent in a very apt question on this subject, wondering if uh, parasites, to use our term, or some sort of alien intelligence could occupy an AI being and control it, or at least partially. I thought that was a rather good question. Because uh, indigenous peoples, as you know, uh, believe very firmly that all objects, even machines, have spirits uh, of their own. So what say you on that whole thing? Do you think you could take it a step farther, further uh, when it comes to what uh, the dangers of AI could be as far as being literally taken over by some other intelligence? Um, I... I can't, I don't have any idea how to answer that question. I might be able to play with it in a science fiction novel. Okay, maybe we gave you an idea. <laughs> no, I'm not going to write any more novels. No one reads my novels, so. Uh, I can disagree with that. Anyway, so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult question. Rather difficult yeah, but it, I, I don't see, I mean, I can't answer it because I'd have no idea. Uh, whether or not that could even happen, how would it take it over? Would it would it integrate itself into the programming somehow? I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. Well, we might find out. I don't know. Mm. I don't know either. I mean, maybe well, already true. It yeah, could be. It yeah. could already be. My true. mother, the car. Remember that old show? Yes. Yeah. Or Herbie. Or or well, I mean, in in this case, it's like um, you know, like old old school ideas. By old school, I mean very old school. Because I, I think one of the biggest things that we've, especially over the last you know century or so, humanity has struggled to sort of understand its cosmology. You know, back in the day, by, by back in the day, I mean like two, three, four thousand, five thousand years ago, all this stuff was very run of the mill every day. This was just like you know part of life. The the layers of reality, the mythological, the political, the the religious, all of that were all happening at the same time. And it's interesting if you look back at ancient works you know the idea of having like you know an idol or a god or something the idol was meant to capture the the spirit of a god if you will um and in in that whole instance it's not too different than people making an artificial intelligence and i'll explain why because it's a constructed thing i I don't know if you're familiar with the work of dr paula boddington um whitley but she's a an ethicist that specializes in artificial intelligence and her whole thing is super interesting. I listened to a, a lecture she did a little little while back where she brought up how um, one of the really interesting things about artificial intelligence is she's like, you know, everybody tries to, to figure out, well, is it ethical? You know, how do we know it's ethical? And she's like, well, it's only as ethical as the person who creates the code because it only operates within the parameters that you have it at. 
So her whole thing was you set the parameters and then you let it go. And so she was like, really, we have to look at the person programming it versus the, the actual artificial intelligence itself. Because the question really is, you know, how do we even know we're conscious, let alone an artificial intelligence? And I, I think that that's a very apt question to ask, because really, one of the main things that humans have always tried to do is control our reality. That's always been a constant, you know, whether it's by, by creating a little device that connects us to everything in the world, or, or perhaps, you know, even something as, as simple as, you know, I'm going to mow my lawn. Every, all of that is is our our attempt to control the reality around us, in my opinion, anyway. But I mean, I highly recommend Dr. Paula Boddington. Uh, it's 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 really really interesting stuff. Well, let's take a minute now, Woodley. Tell us about your website, where people can get the books, especially the key, etc. Well, um, the key is available certainly online on on Barnes and Noble and Amazon and. Uh, you, you can IndieBound probably can show you where it is in your area in a bookstore. Yeah, I saw it in Barnes and Noble yesterday. <clears throat> yeah, it probably is, and it's it's around. I mean, you know, it's a just like any book. It's and my website is unknowncountry.com. It's primarily a community website. It has a, a free community where you can go in and and uh, engage with other people, and then a paid community where you can do have a little bit more uh, access and it's been uh, the website and my show dreamland have been around since 1998 i think it's a great show i've been on it oh, thank you it. you've been on it yeah uh, uh, paul i'm not sure who said that but it paul's been on it. yeah that was me. <laughs> yeah. yeah so uh so that's what, where I'm coming from. I have a new book coming out on March the 23rd called Them, which has been very well-reviewed, early reviewers. Um, Colm Kelleher, the director of Bigelow Aerospace, mm. uh, said it was masterful. So well, I was very pleased with that. Yeah. Jacques Vallée wrote a forward to it. Mitch wow. Horowitz wrote a preface. And then Jeff Kripal wrote an afterword uh, that uh, reflects the thesis of the book, which is basically how do we communicate with this presence, especially because we don't even know what it is. We we don't even know where, whether or not the presence that people are engaging with is related to the UFOs because mm-hmm. there's no there's no proven connection at all. We forget that. Yeah. Um, and so, go ahead. Oh, no, I'll just say we assume. And I wanted to mention Jeff Kripal is our guest in two weeks. So, uh, but I think in our last few minutes here, w- what else did this person say that you think uh, our listeners ought to know about? Especially if they well, have come true. I think they have to find it for themselves. Um and it is a uh, it, it is a it's a very complex book. It, it, it talks about things like the nature of the soul and, uh, and and I say at one point we lost access to the science of God, your science, because at that point I thought he was some kind of a 
an angel, and he seemed to know a great deal about what God is. Yeah, his theology is very interesting. Yeah, what he said was in response to that question is, the part of your brain that enables you to utilize electrons without drawing them into the particulate state was turned off. You became time-bound. You went to sleep, sinking into the time stream, which is where you remain trapped. It's a remarkable statement, in my opinion. It is, as opposed to the eternal now, which Einstein and others have talked about in special relativity, the uh, non-existence of past and future, etc., why? Yeah, but but bear in mind that block universe theory says there is such a thing as a past and a future that we're, that awareness is moving through it. Well, so that's, that's it. Awareness, very credible consciousness. Uh, yeah. Why? Theory. Why you, Whitley? Why, why did you pick you to impart this information to? <laughs> I'm probably the only person crazy enough to write a book about it. <laughs> um. Uh, I think he probably picked me because I had Anne. And, you know, I called Anne the next morning to tell her it had happened. And then proceed, and I said, don't let me decide it never happened. And it took two years of her saying, Whitley, write the book. You've got the notes, write the book. And I would say, well, I'm not even sure it happened. And she would remind me, she said, you called me the morning after. Because the reason I was, this happens, and this happens to everybody who has strange experiences, <clears throat> if you have an experience that doesn't fit into your expectations about life and your previous experience, the brain can't place it anywhere, it tends to get lost. Yes. It, tends, it tends to get forgotten. And that was what I was trying to do. And finally... I sat down and I thought to myself, how can I remember all of this now? It's been only two years. But when I started writing, it just came in immediately, like a, I, 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 like I had had a transcript in front of me. You know, I, I have to say at this point, I wish I had known Anne, uh, your, your wife. Um, we were friends on Facebook. We communicated once or twice, but um, obviously... An incredibly special person, and a, and a real inspiration, and you're you're blessed as you know. So oh, yeah, I sure was blessed. That was a speaking of angels. Well, so so the, yes, so this um, experience with the master of the key, as as he's called, what has it done for your personal life as opposed to what you've written and, and what you want to communicate? If, if we may ask. It's brought me into a new level of spiritual awareness that I did not have before. Uh, a new relationship with the numinous and, and the sacred. Um, and also a new understanding of what we are, where we are, and what living here is all about. And the knowledge that we're coming to a climax in the evolution of the human species. And that climax is described in the key very clearly. And it's going to, he 
describes it as at one point he says that you're swimming in the waters of Pisces. We're the little fish swimming in the waters of Pisces. Mm. And now uh, Pisces waters are going to be poured out by Aquarius and you're going to be left on dry land. And how do you function then? How do you live? And if you look at the world around us, Earth is literally in the process of pouring us out. We're not going to be living, be able to live in the womb of Earth anymore. I think if you could sum up the idea of who the master of the key is and who all of these strange beings are, wherever they come from, whether they come from within us or from outside in some way that who knows how, and maybe all of the above, what they are are midwives to the birth of a new mankind. We are leaving the womb and on the birth canal now, and we're going to be out soon in the in the wreckage of the sunken wreckage of the womb, yelling and screaming like crazy. And what are we going to do then? Most of us are going to probably find out. You know, not to be cynical, but I always get a little nervous when I hear, you know, the new mankind and this kind of thing, and I hope it's true. But um, I don't know. Maybe it's because we deal with parasites a lot and liars and beings that just do not have our best interests in mind, in our opinion. Um, how do you know this is true? How do, how do well, you judge largely this? Largely because it's, hap- it? it's, happened, it's happened before. Uh, before the last ice age, we were living in the trees and we were gathering berries and basically we were hunter-gatherers and living in the forests. And then the forests left us and things that become, got very cold and the population of hominids dropped and dropped until it almost disappeared. And when the Ice Age ended, uh, we were dressed in clothing. We had later Stone Age tools. We had organized ourselves into tribal groups and societies. The first cities and the first organized uh, uh, places in the world, Gobekli Tepe, were beginning to form. So that's what happened that time, that last time. And I don't know what the outcome will be this time, but we're going to change. We're going to find a way to adapt. And the, that's the new mankind. Uh, the, the mankind of 10,000 years ago was vastly different from the mankind of 100,000 years ago. And we're, we're now at the end of this interglacial we're going to go back into a into a, a period of tremendous challenge, and out of it will come this new mankind. I have no idea what form it will take, but I don't think we're going to grow wings. I think we're going to grow very subtle and highly intelligent machines, and they are going to become probably our partners, and to some extent, perhaps our enemies. We shall see. Wow! Well, that's a, an amazing thought to. And our amazing discussion on, 
Whitley, it's always an honor and a pleasure and a, and a journey mm. uh, to speak with you. And we'll speak real soon. I'm proud to say I think we're becoming good friends. And uh, I have a proposal on that score as far as our discussion group is concerned. Let you know off the air. But uh, thank you so much for joining us yes. today. And uh, feel free to hang out as we do our announcements. Okay, Ben. Actually, I'm up here in the script. You are. Uh, Various events coming up for us in 2020, or me in 2023, will include the uh, Exeter UFO Festival in September in New Hampshire and the Arizona Dowsers Conference in October. Yes, and you can visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find nearly 1,200 hours of our regular shows and special broadcasts since 2008 from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and here on WOON, AM, and FM Radio. Uh, also, uh, you can hear many of these broadcasts on the major podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Uh, you can download our show app. We have an app. It's free at BehindTheParanormal.com. Right on the main page is a link. You can browse our books on that site as well, along with those of our guest co-hosts, um, where you can also find on that site uh, more about the show, our many cases over the years, and our public appearances and how to book us. The website also has a charity page, which we urge you to visit. There are several good causes we have adopted, and we know the people who uh, organize these charities, so you can have confidence in them. Uh, Hope for Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Mass., uh, USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, and my favorite, Helping Haiti's Orphans and the Sisterhood of Ground Zero. There's also a GoFundMe page for folks in East Palestine, Ohio, site of the recent train wreck and chemical fire. So what do we got next week, Ben? So next week, uh, that's March 19th, We'll bring you an open line show to take questions from listeners from all over the world on many different paranormal subjects, and it should be a blast. We all we always have a wonderful time with all all of the questions, and honestly, all of our all of our listeners ask amazing questions, and it's it's all, <laughs> I wish we had more time to take more of them. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you uh, there there are a number of ways you can contact us on that. Uh, certainly Facebook on my personal page or our show page, uh, YouTube. Uh, if you listen to the show on YouTube, the recorded shows, you can uh, post a question uh, by way of a reply, I should say by way of a comment on whichever video, because we are checking those uh, as much as we can. So uh, we leave you today with a thoughtful thought from that old 13th century sweetheart, Rumi. Your depression comes from your insolence and refusal to praise. Kind of dark for him. Anyway, I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.